Good morning. I'm going to bring our sermon reading to us today, Romans chapter 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks, Matthew. G'day everyone, if I haven't met you, my name's Pete Stacey, and isn't it good to be together again? So good. Uh, we've been using this picture of a roller coaster as an image for our series on reframing our emotions. But as we focus on fear, I thought this might be more appropriate. That's <laughs> so typical, isn't it? Dad wants to go on the ride, so he says, come on, it won't be scary at all. <laughs> good one, Dad. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I went through a stage of regular nightmares. Uh, it's hard as a parent, you know, you, you just can't be there every time your child needs you. But God can, uh, and so my mum helped me memorise Psalm 4 verse 8, which says, When I lie down, I go to sleep in peace. You alone, O Lord, keep me perfectly safe and here 40 years later. I can still remember it without looking at the screen. Did you notice? That's great on that. Um, throughout our lives, we face all kinds of fears, don't we? And fear can be such a powerful adversary to faith. In His grace, God often uses other people to help us navigate our fears, like my mum all those years ago. But ultimately, what we need is Him. We need to remember uh, his good promises to us and find comfort and strength in his presence with us. And I think memorising God's word, actually, is one of the greatest weapons we have uh, in this battle against fear, although I think we often overlook it. Remember what Jesus uh, did in the heat of temptation? He quoted scripture. And in his weakest moment on the cross, he didn't give in to fear. He quoted scripture. Friends, we certainly won't find a better way to stand in our weakest moments and our most vulnerable moments in life. As we consider this topic of fear, what a privilege it is to hear God speak to us through his word. So let's pray as we begin. Dear Father, please open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. I ask that an open heart and an open Bible will shape every day of our lives. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I've got to say, this is a huge topic. There are over 700 verses or passages that mention or illustrate fear. That's because it's so common to our human experience. Every single one of us has been afraid. And when we are gripped by fear, it impacts our whole being. So it's no surprise that fear is also the focus of considerable academic uh, research and literature. So this is how we're going to tackle it. I'd love to just preach on Romans 8. That'd be great. But this is a topical series. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to start with a definition. Uh, then I'm going to track that idea very quickly right through the whole Bible. Yeah, we've got time. Uh, as we do that, there's a problem we need to consider in the middle. Then we're going to look at how God wants us to deal with our fears before looking at his specific promises to us in Romans 8. And the goal, it might be ambitious, is to do all that in under 20 minutes. Now, I know there's going to be someone with a stopwatch out there, so the clock starts now. <laughs> So what is fear? Fear is an emotional and physical response in reaction to something we perceive to be dangerous or threatening. The danger can be real or imagined, immediate or ongoing. So there's a hungry lion over there. We would all respond with that immediate, acute type of fear known as panic. But some of you look to check. <laughs> and now you realise that that threat is only imagined. So we can all relax again. Uh, it's interesting because individual, uh, the, the individual response is only partially determined by the threat itself. For example, two people could be confronted by the same danger and yet respond very differently. Just because of their unique psychological makeup and their past experiences in life. Now, when we are frightened, uh, the adrenal gland, this is where I'm really getting out of my depth here, but I'm going to say it anyway, the adrenal gland produces adrenaline and cortisol and triggers a chain reaction of physical responses such as increased heart rate, we all know what that's like, faster breathing, shortness of breath, tight chest, digestive change, you know, the old butterflies in the tummy, sweating, chills, trembling muscles, knocking knees, all those sorts of things. We're familiar with those, aren't we? We've all had at least some of those kinds of reactions uh, in the face of fear. And in a matter of seconds, these chemical changes in the body prepare us for action. Fight, flight, or freeze. Let me illustrate. The magpie swoops, and you wave your arms at it madly. That's the fight response. A big wave crashes on the shore and you run up the beach, the sloping sand to avoid it. That's the flight response. Something makes a noise in the bush at night and you freeze, hoping you see it before it sees you. <laughs> now, as we saw last week, you know, with anxiety and worry, uh, and it's so linked to fear, uh, th these so-called fear responses can be positive or negative depending on the circumstances. I mean, they could save your life, couldn't they? But they can also become nagging worries or even crippling phobias that rob us of the very enjoyment of life. The examples I gave were rather trivial, really. You know, magpies, waves, bush noises. 
But fear invades much bigger concerns in our lives. And inevitably, our fears extend beyond this life to death and judgment and eternity. If fear was only about dangerous things and difficult circumstances, we would just take precautions and live the best way we can. But fear is also a reflection of our hearts. And when we listen carefully, we hear the cry, I am not in control. The good news is that God, the very one who is in control, he speaks into all our fears to bring understanding and hope. So let's scan the scriptures to build a biblical framework for understanding fear. By Genesis chapter 2, creation is complete. God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's perfect harmony in every relationship. And in the last verse of chapter 2, it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There was no fear. They had no reason to fight or run or hide. Genesis 3, sin entered the world through their disobedience. And what did they do? Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Flight and freeze. Fear had so gripped their hearts. I mean, what, what, what were they thinking? Oh, perhaps the omnipresent, all-knowing creator won't see us in here? What a ridiculous response. That's absolutely tragic. And from that moment on, humanity has been plagued by fear. It took no time at all for fear to infect every level of the human experience. Marriage. They covered themselves from each other with fig leaves. What well, a lot of good that would do. <laughs> a laughable solution. Family. The very first children of the very first family came killed Abel and then he feared for his own life. And soon it's clan against clan and nation against nation and even creation itself is at enmity with humanity. What a disaster. And from that time on, Fear has been a regular visitor to every human heart. And it wants to make its home in your heart. Dear friends, God speaks a word of hope. One of the most common messages from God to his people, from cover to cover throughout the Bible is this. Do not fear. For example, in Isaiah 41, we heard it just a moment ago. Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, we'll get to this in a moment, but the key to overcoming fear is by putting our trust in the very God we have offended and sinned against. We don't deserve his help. But because of his faithful love, he offers help and hope. And he is the only source of true and lasting hope. And his hope 
comes to a great climax in the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. How? Well, Jesus gets us connected with God again. When he died on the cross, he took our fears and the filthy stain of sin upon himself. And he offers us the pure clothing of his righteousness. We no longer need to hide from God. We can now journey through like walking with God again. Not against him. And if God is for us, friends, who can be against us? And there's Romans 8. We'll get there soon. <laughs> because it looks not just how God helps us in life now, but to heaven where fear will be no more. The consistent message of God to his people, to those who come to him through faith in Jesus, is this. Do not fear, for I am with you. There's a problem to consider. Throughout the Bible, we're also constantly told to fear the Lord. How do we obey both commands when they seem to contradict each other? Let me illustrate. If I was in a cage with a lion, I've got lions on the brain today, haven't I? Um, I'd be terrified because of what that lion could do to me. But suppose the lion was my friend and protector. I'd have no need to fear anyone or anything else that might enter that cage, would I? I'd be safe. Not because the lion is safe, but because he's favourably disposed towards me. He's looking after me. Like, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, where the children are going to meet Aslan, the great king. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. And Susan, you know, voicing what was on all their uh, minds. Oh, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Friends, we fear God because he's king of the universe. Unlimited power. Perfect love. White hot holiness. He made everything. He gave us life and he will call us to account. In Luke 12, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. A right fear of God means recognising that his power could crush us. His holiness could condemn us. But his love gives us hope. And that hope is ours in Christ. A right fear of God leads us to faith in Christ. And that radically reframes the way we experience fear and the way we respond to all other fears in life. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's Romans 8, we'll get there soon. <laughs> but before I do, <laughs> I want to get there. Uh, I want to remind us what we have seen over the last two weeks 
um, about processing our emotions, including fear, because I found this personally so helpful, but so clear in many of the Psalms. Uh, four points. Tell God how we feel. This was this was my sermon notes like two weeks ago, Psalm 13. Tell God how we feel. Ask Him for help. Remember His faithfulness in the past. Look forward with hope in Him. Such a helpful pattern, isn't it? Now, we really need to get that like imprinted on our brains and in our hearts before we suddenly need it. Number one, be honest with God. Yeah, tell Him how we feel. Psalm 55 says this, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. plea. Hear me and answer me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. This is the guy as I gripped my fear. What's he doing? Telling God about it. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything, including all our fears, to God in prayer. Number two, ask him for help. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Number three, remember his faithfulness in the past. I'm just plucking out you know, one of many psalms in all these bits. Uh, Psalm 116 verse 7 says, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. So good, isn't it? Number four, rejoice in his goodness as we look forward with hope. Oh, lots of Psalms. Psalm 46, 1 and 2, one of my favourites. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What about the middle of Psalm 23? Such a favourite. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, that's actually a good verse to throw in a plug for the grief seminar this afternoon. I preached on Psalm 23 at my own wife's funeral. God helps us extraordinarily, even through the most difficult times and griefs and fears of our lives. Four simple steps right there. So, so helpful, aren't they? Such a helpful approach to dealing with fear. And with all of our emotions. And the Psalms are so good. They make such wonderful memory verses. A friend of mine, it's not on my notes, Mark. I know you're following it. Uh, a friend of mine used to read five Psalms and one proverb every day. He did it for years. That way you get through all of Psalms and Proverbs every single month. Did it for years. Oh, so, so helpful. Um, so helpful. But, but did you know that we have a clarity and a confidence before God that is even better than what King David had. Ever thought about this? You see, we know exactly how God removes our greatest fear because we live this side of the cross. So let's now turn to Romans 8 and look at God's wonderful promises in this final section. Paul asks several questions to address our greatest fears. In verse 31, he addresses our fear of, of opposition, anyone or anything that might stand against us before God. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
In verse 33, Paul addresses our fears about personal guilt. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And then in verse 35, Paul addresses fears about our eternal security. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the way he answers each question is stunning. Question number one, Paul's logic is very simple. God's love comes to us at the cost of his own son. Now, you don't make that kind of sacrifice and then pull out of the deal. So the death of Christ on the cross for our sins should give us enormous confidence that God is for us. As you go home today, if you just remember four words, just remember this. God is for me. God is for me. Satan accuses us. Yeah. Other people might hate us. Even our own hearts sometimes condemn us. But none of those, none of them can change God's position. He is for us. And ultimately, that is all that matters. He is all we need. That's why he moves to the second question. And Paul reminds us that God is the judge and the judge says, not guilty. Friends, if you've put your trust in Jesus, let that sink in. Paul began chapter 8 with these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christian friends, believe it. Believe it because that's God's truth. And then Paul adds a second beautiful point in addressing this second issue. Guess what Jesus is doing right now for you and me? Verse 34. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's there on the throne saying, Father, that one, she's ours. And, and look at him. He belongs to us too. I died for them. They are forgiven. They are washed. They are family. They are ours forever. And so Paul ends with the promise of eternal security because of God's unfailing love. And it's really important to notice the list in verse 35. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Paul's not writing hypothetically. He's experienced nearly all of those. Trusting in Christ does not protect us from suffering and trials and temptation and opposition and accusations. Our lives may be impacted by all of those things, sometimes very painfully. But trusting in Christ does guarantee that none of those things can change our legal standing before God. We are justified. They can't change our relational standing before God. We are loved. And they can't change our eternal standing before God. We are His forever. 
I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we must note the last five words. In Christ Jesus our Lord. These wonderful fear-defeating promises are not for everyone but only for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord in life and their Saviour for eternity. Friends, can I ask you, is that you? Do you know for certain that you are forgiven by God, loved by Him, walking every day with God and part of His forever family? May God give us the grace to believe His words of hope and comfort and life that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.